know, according to history, a long time ago, big meteorite came and blasted our universes into parallel dimensions. You know, all that fungus out there, that's our old king. That's right, he's been de-evolved into fungus. And now he's wreaking his revenge on the city. Luigi, Mario, you gotta come with me, I need your help. Mario, what, what's wrong? You're never gonna believe this. I believe it. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Super Mario Brothers. A video game based on your many adventures. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. It just don't get no better than this. Hosted by Arnie. A not so benevolent dictator, as it were. Justin. Good choice, cousin. I always thought he'd make a great Goomba. And Stuart. Uh, are, are you here to help us? Hardly. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. It's clean and it's dirty at the same time. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we're discussing Super Mario Brothers, starring Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper, Samantha Mathis, Fisher Stevens, directed by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel. It's me, Arnio, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is Justin Justin. Or, no, just Justin, sorry. I think we're officially open now. I mean, last week... It was cool to see all the old coin ops, but this is it, right? This is the first video game movie. The arcade is now open. Mario, I didn't realize this until we got into this review, but he is the most popular video game character of all time. Has to be, right? I mean, he was there at the beginning, Donkey Kong. And, you know, one of the things I am interested in about watching this series, maybe not so much many of the movies, but seeing the interplay, seeing how video games steal ideas from movies and vice versa, seeing when it all turns, it should be pointed out. Donkey Kong is an adaptation, unofficially at least, of a franchise we'll probably eventually do. King Kong, right? I mean, how did they get away with that? Is Donkey a mistranslation of King? Because it's a giant ape climbing a big building with a woman in his hand. And the only thing not in the movie is you're not going to see a guy with a mustache and a hammer come and save her. He's in an airplane. But it's King Kong. I actually have a little bit of a backstory for that. I, I may have mentioned before that my current boss was part of Nintendo back in the early 80s when they were putting the NES into homes and stuff like that. And he's told the story a few times that Donkey Kong actually was the result of a friendly handshake over a trademark dispute because they actually were going to do it as King Kong because the trademark had not been protected and it became public use after so long. Yeah, it was a 1933 movie, so you'd think by, what, 1981? Yeah, time's up. 
they got sued by Universal. They sent cease and desist letters to all of Nintendo's licensees. It really happened because of the ColecoVision version of it, not just the arcade, but when they started selling it to the home markets. And so everybody just agreed to pay royalties to Universal. Some of it was a translation problem, too. When they were making it, the creator, who we're going to be talking about, Shigeru Miyamoto, he wanted to have a English name, and he doesn't speak English, that basically meant stubborn gorilla. And donkey is what came up as the translation for stubborn, mm -hmm. and Kong came up as the translation for gorilla. So this should have been ass Kong all along. <laughs> my, my, my. I don't feel like that would have been as popular. And you know what else wouldn't have been as popular? Nintendo's mascot being called Video Man. He was not named Mario. And way back on the Atari cabinets, they had to call him something. He was called Jumpman. Mm. Miyamoto has said internally he just called the guy Video Man, but because this was his first big hit game, he was going to have Mario cameo in all the other games like Hitchcock, just as his own personal touch, not at the thought of keeping him going, but he internally just called him Video Man because he was going to pop up in all these video games. And then eventually, after like a rent dispute with his landlord named Mario, who had a bushy mustache, they decided, well, we'll call him Mario. And they really think it was just that happenstance because Video Man would not have made it. But by calling him Mario and doing all that, all of a sudden you have a household character, like their own Mickey Mouse for Nintendo, who has been in over 200 games. And the Super Mario series is the best-selling video game franchise of all time. I'm more of a Donkey Kong guy than I am a Super Mario Brothers guy. I was kind of done with Donkey Kong Jr. We've already talked about how he was the bad guy. He was the guy at the end of the board with the whip that you had to avoid when you were freeing Kong. You know, the trade-off of Mario capturing Kong and saving the princess last time was that he became the jailer. Yeah, but then there was that stupid Donkey Kong 3, which I don't think anybody liked, where you were back trying to get the ape, not because he had a girl or anything, just because, I guess, you're machismo or something. I liked that game because because there were big bugs, and this time Mario was an exterminator and he had the bug stuff. Mario in the first game was not a plumber. He was a contractor, and he was on construction sites. That's why it looked the way it did. I never knew that. I never knew all those girders and things were supposed to be unfinished buildings. <laughs> and then eventually, because of his outfit, they decided that he looked like a plumber. So the first dedicated Mario game, Mario Brothers, not Super, just Mario Brothers, they decided, well, if he's a plumber, we'll put him underground and do something with pipes. And so we played this. You hadn't played it before. Yeah, the original non-Super Mario Brothers which I concur. It's very non-super when you play the original game with Luigi and Mario running around pipes, trying not to get crabs. Literally, trying not to get crustaceans. <laughs> that all makes sense with my recollection of it, too, because I wasn't aware that that was supposed to be the same dude in Donkey Kong as in Super Nintendo's Super Mario Brothers. By the time you're playing Super Mario Brothers, it's like, hey, wait, Mario, that looks like the same guy from Donkey Kong. And it turns out, sure, that can be what they wrote into the history. I'm not sure that they knew that Mario was going to become this generation-spanning, lovable character that still has just as much clout today as he did in 1993. I see, I would have put my money on the ape. The ape was the one that I had the stuffed animal for. The ape was the one who I bought the cereal for. If they were going to launch the NES in 1985, I would think they'd make Super Donkey Kong. 
Keep in mind, when I bought my Nintendo, though, I didn't get Super Mario Brothers. I got Gyromite and Duck Hunt. Oof, yeah. That, that was because you bought the Super Set that had all the extra toys. Eventually, I finally got Super Mario Brothers, and I think that is the game that made him the household name. That game is fun as hell. I played that so much as a kid, and I still, I'm playing it now, and I remember going home from school every night and finding warp zones and trying to get lives, and then going to school the next day and talking with my friends and like, do you know if you jump on this turtle shell right here just the right way, you can get a hundred free lives, and then going home getting those hundred free lives and beating the game. I mean, it was addictive and fun, and that's what made it. The fact that he came from Donkey Kong is coincidence. I almost think it's the same game, except for two really important factors. It's Godzilla instead of Donkey Kong that has the princess, and you can't see the entire board. This is the first side-scroller, right? Like, the whole world is out of your purview when you look at the TV screen. You have to walk off into an unseen distance and get to the end of a, a level. That was real novelty in 1985. I'm trying to think. I don't think it was the first side-scroller. I think there were a couple before it. But one of the things it really had going for it is it pushed the NES to the limit. You know, it had great graphics. It had colorful screens. So while some of the others, I know I played side-scrollers before that. Even on the Atari, I had side-scrollers on the Atari 2600. But they were lines and blocks. This had characterization and you were jumping on mushrooms and fighting turtles and all that. They created comic book characters, and it didn't take too long for this to come to life. By 89, there was a syndicated TV show starring Captain Lou Albano as Mario. I hate to say it, but this is actually how I knew the character more. I never had the NES, I already said, until way late and never got the Super Mario Brothers game. But I would oftentimes call, you know, have a sick day from school and just stay home and watch television and I'm embarrassed to say that, yes, it was a part of my TV programming. I was very much a couch potato, 7th, 8th grade. And so, yeah, I would just sit there if I was watching DuckTales and that weird Ghostbusters series with the ape. Why not stick around for Captain Lou Albano and some sitcom actor named Danny Wells dressed up in overalls for Super Mario Brothers Super Show? I only found it on, like, the Family Channel in the 90s, and I thought it was newer than that. But every episode is on YouTube. I watched three, which is all I could tolerate. I mean, it is insipid. The live action stuff isn't so bad. It's like a Pee Wee's Playhouse kind yeah. of thing with every bad Italian stereotype you could ever have. Yeah, they do things like <laughs> help Nicole Eggert with her clogged sink and, you know, they hide and drag from Lyle Alzado. It, they get B-level stars to come on the thing. Hey, they got Captain Lou Albano to show up on it as himself in one episode and Cindy Lauper showed up too. Oh, of course. They were inseparable at that time. So that show was more of the live action part was just kind of a interstitial between actually showing the Super Mario Brothers cartoon then? Yeah. Okay. The best part, though, the thing that if you watch nothing else, you need to go to YouTube and look up is the opening rap song where they've taken the Super Mario Brothers song and got a rap going, you'll get hooked on the brothers. It's very run DMC. It was like perfect, really. I agree. It's worth it for that. Recommend for the theme. <laughs> the cartoon, though, and I ended up watching, there were three different series. There was first the Super Mario Brothers show, then there was Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3, and then there was Super Mario World, and they were one per year, 89, 90, 91. They're all pretty much indistinguishable, and 
man, I watched a couple episodes of each. It was all I could do. The latter two were part of a Nintendo block. They were only like 10-minute cartoons, but they were packaged with Captain N. Do you guys remember Captain N? Uh, Not ringing a bell. No. Captain N, the Game Master. N stands for Nintendo. Saturday mornings on NBC, this guy just interacted with Nintendo's video games as a giant commercial for the NES. Yeah, that sounds about right. And again, it doesn't have to be very sophisticated. I don't think I'd enjoy any Saturday morning cartoons that I watched in the past. I think people kind of just dug it. Mostly, I remember people really dug The Legend of Zelda, which they would only play every Friday on Super Mario Show. Weirdly, I last year decided to revisit all the cartoons of my youth. And every Saturday morning, I'd wake up and watch several hours of cartoons, including Mr. T and Kid Video. Oof, that could not have been healthy. Snorks. Oof. I know it's not healthy. (laughs) That was bad then. What that actually enabled me to do is, as an adult, realize the tropes and how so many of these cartoons are just a ripoff of the Scooby-Doo archetypes. And so, just like that in the Mario cartoons, Mario was the food-hungry one, Luigi was the coward, Toad was the hothead, and... Princess Toadstool was the female kind of mothering one of the group. So it really did feel like any other cartoon, only instead of kid video getting taken to the flip side, the two plumbers got sucked down a pipe while plumbing and were taken into Mushroom Land. But you gotta give cut them a break there. I mean, there was no establishing story, right? Nothing came with the cartridge to explain what this world was. Whoever wrote this had to come up with 50, 60 episodes, all just based on iconography. At this point, I remember being a kid, and be it Atari 2600 all the way up to the Nintendo, your story for that game came in the instruction manual. I would sit there and read it like a book. There would be one to four pages of prose explaining to me the setup for this game. And Mario didn't even have that. The Japanese are like... He's a man, he's jumping, he's fighting mushrooms, just play the damn game. (laughs) So that's part of the reason I watched the cartoon, is the cartoon had to look at this and be like, how do we make that a narrative? And so here, they didn't have a template to go from, like Wing Commander did and then screwed up. (laughs) Here, it's like, you got a man, he's jumping, he's fighting mushrooms, write a script. Yeah, there's a quest. I would say the one thing that's clear, if not quite a story, is that, again, you're trying to rescue a woman. And so that seems to be Mario's lot in life. Whatever he's going to do, he's got to rescue a princess. So you build it around that, obviously. And there's lots of iconography. Maybe you don't know how it works together, but you know you need to include certain images. There's got to be mushrooms. There's got to be secret warp zones. There's got to be pipes. And it's odd because there were story-driven games back then, but they were the, like you said, quest-driven. I'm thinking King's Quest and Police Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. But, I mean, we're talking Zork. We're talking you had to type, pick up, sword. The stuff on the consoles just didn't have that until, I'd say, the Nintendo started to change that with cutscenes and things like that. Yeah, I definitely feel like there are games that lend themselves to easier adaptation. It still kills me that Legend of Zelda doesn't have a movie, but you have to make it work. Somehow, this guy needs to be a movie star because he's got the following. And even with that little bit of premise that we do get from the game... The movie still seems to screw it up just slightly because it's not Mario who's saving the princess. It's Luigi who's saving the princess. Indeed. And we'll talk about it, but they don't even go into a damn pipe. They're kind of in pipes, but not down a pipe. 
yeah, there's no pipes, there's no Boomerang Brothers, a lot of the stuff that you come to expect when you think of Mario Brothers isn't here, and that's because it's too fantastical to put in a live-action film. That's hard to do, and that's probably why it was just relegated to kid stuff. You know, they just weren't going to make a movie out of it until Roland Joffe, of all people, the esteemed director of Mission and Killing Fields and Fat Man and Little Boy, decided it was worth two million bucks to get the rights. Every studio wanted to make a Mario Brothers game. They thought there was money in Mario. And so Joffe flew over to Japan to meet with Miyamoto. And Miyamoto's like, Disney wants the rights. Sony wants the rights. Why should I give the rights to you? And Jaffe said, I can't think of any reason other than I'm sitting here and they're not. That was enough for Miyamoto. He then asked for $4 million and Jaffe didn't have it. Jaffe said, how about $2 million? And Miyamoto goes, I like your balls. Let's go with this. And so Jaffe got this. The casting for this is incredible. For Mario, who do you think they'd go to? And Bob Hoskins is never your first call. I actually read this, and it's actually who they should have paid enough money to get. If you do the Penguin, Danny DeVito should be able to put on overalls and do Mario, right? Oh, I can see that. Totally. I mean, he was a big star at that time. As a director, too. I mean, he could direct it and be in front of the camera. Why didn't he do it? He was in discussions to direct and star, because he was doing Throw Mama from the Train and other stuff back then. War of the Roses, sure. And the problem was, he wanted to see a script before he signed a contract. Yeah. Very smart of him, as I'll get into. They're like, no, you gotta sign a contract now. And Danny's like, no, I'm not gonna do it. Meanwhile, off to the side, begging for the role. Dustin Hoffman? (laughs) Rain Man, I just won an Oscar. And now I want to be Mario. <laughs> See, that's very surprising. I would think that most established actors, certainly of his generation particularly, would run for the hills to get away from something like this. His kids loved the game and he wanted to do it for his kids. You know, seeing a lot of these names that have been bandied around that were attached or wanted to be attached or were offered parts and declined with this property kind of brings to mind something that I think we've seen come since then, which is this was the beginning of big names being attached to an animated feature. At first, nobody wanted to be a part of that because it just seemed like pap and kid stuff. But then Pixar proved that, you know, Tom Hanks can do the voice of a talking cowboy and it's endearing and everybody loves it. So then everybody rushed out to get attached to these things. And I can kind of see where, because of this movie, some big name people were a little kind of skittish about jumping into that next property type of thing coming after this well speaking of they also wanted tom hanks to play mario but he was too expensive (laughs) oh wow that would have been changed his career for the worse (laughs) you know i think it's more than that justin i think there's a real stigma at this point in time with making toys and games and childish things into movies i mean keep in mind we had kid-oriented movies in the 80s but they were the films that adults saw as well. And when they tried to make things based on trading cards like Garbage Pail Kids or Marvel Comics, Howard the Duck, The Wizard. I mean, we just talked about that for patrons. These were not successful films. And I think that it took Tim Burton saying you can have a big old hit with Batman for people to open their eyes and go, oh, It's not a shame to raid the toy box for movie ideas. Well, I'd also give some credit specifically for this movie 
to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. We definitely will be talking about the turtles. I'm not pulling the kids out, but yeah, it's definitely had to be on their mind. But again, turtles. Look at that film. We talked about it on the show. Very influenced by the dark, gothic look of Tim Burton. That was the thing. We can make it adult if it looks like film noir. And so it doesn't matter how sunny and kitty it is. The only one to not make that choice is Dick Tracy. They tried to go for pop art color. But by and large, if you were making a comic book movie or a toy, movie in the early 90s, you were going to make it dark and grimy and scary. And I guess that's why you go to the people that made Max Hedrum. This movie went through so many drafts. And I'm just going to put this out there right now. This movie has diehard fans. There are people who love, love, love this movie. Because it's so bad. No. Mm. I think they love it like I love Howard the Duck, which is not because it's so bad, but because they grew up with it and have such fond memories, and then they might realize it has some flaws. Some flaws? Does it have a a good idea? There's a website, SMB Movie, Super Mario Brothers Movie.com. It is an incredible resource of all things Mario, <laughs> including six Count them six different scripts that went through the process for this film. And each one is always pitched like another movie. Mm -hmm. Before we had directors on board, when it was just Joffy and some writers, they had the director of The Wonder Years and the screenwriter of Rain Man. <laughs> okay. And so they were going to do a Rain Man-like version of Mario. Weird. Mario was a normal brother and Luigi was a high-functioning autistic. Oh, my. <laughs> what? <laughs> Guys, I am not going to allow autism to be the continuing theme through our video game retrospective. <laughs> Yow. And then the wizard came out and they realized that was a bad idea. Okay. That's an interesting choice. I'm glad they didn't make. Then they decided to do a kid's film. Let's make this a kid's film. Duh. Let's make it like The Wizard of Oz, where people are transported into another world and have magical adventures, and Mario and Luigi are like the Dorothy, and they go into a land where instead of the Wicked Witch, you have Koopa. Yeah, it's like the video game. Absolutely, that's what you do. That's obviously, they go down the wrong pipe and enter a magical realm. What's so weird is that the script did have a lot of similarities to the final one. It is at this point that we began rewriting and rewriting. And once I really looked at this, I did not envy the job of a screenwriter because to have to completely rewrite. I mean, I think of rewriting as let's touch it up, let's tighten it up. No, this is a complete rewriting and yet keeping certain elements the same. And in this very first one, they still had a baby being dropped off at a church door and the ruby that would be the MacGuffin in the baby's blanket and in Brooklyn modern day and King Koopa. All of this was in this original draft. Sure. It gets to the point where you can't tell what the old idea was and the new idea. That's why they actually, they color coordinate the pages so that people know. You can tell by the color of the script if you have the latest version. The script that they filmed 
I'll get to it. It was called the rainbow version because it had so many different colored pages. <laughs> I have no doubt about this. To look at this movie is to know that it was rewritten by 20 different people. But then they got the directors on, Jankel and Morton. And these are the people who created Max Headroom and then came to the States. Because remember, Max Headroom was a movie that they did for BBC Channel 4 based off the Coke spokesperson. I think when you say Max Headroom, most people think the guy that sold me new Coke. <laughs> right? The the sputtering, lovable character that popped up on MTV and made me laugh. They don't necessarily remember that show. It was quickly canceled. It was not much loved or watched here on ABC, but I saw every episode. Blipverts, I thought it was really strange. It was like a Terry Gilliam movie every week. I loved that show, and then I rewatched it in the 90s. It, with Twin Peaks and some other show that I didn't like, were all on A&E in a block they called Television Too Good for TV. And I got to rewatch it all in the 90s. That show holds up, and it was where Matt Frewer played both Max Headroom and a news reporter whose consciousness was downloaded into a computer to create Max Headroom. These guys did that story, and it's good. And then they came to the States and did a remake of DOA, which I also like. Oh, yes. Yeah, they liked noir, which must be why when they come to this property, they think that the way to go is to make it a dark dystopia. I mean, they have the career of Ridley Scott, who started in advertisements in England and then came to America and broke through with science fiction. They're thinking that they can do that here, too. That must be what they're thinking, because the color palette that they choose, the tone that they take has nothing to do with the few minutes that I played Super Mario Brothers. I don't see this game in this movie. Yeah, Jankel and Morton, who are a husband and wife duo, I should add, convinced Joffe is, we don't want to make a kiddie movie. We want to make a movie that's all ages, but the adults have to explain some of the jokes to the kids as they leave. Which has always been a thing of the 80s. I mean, keep in mind, the, the actor that they get to play Mario coming off Who Framed Roger Rabbit was very much a dark noir that some kids didn't get, you know? And I, I think that that would have been the right impulse for that era. So they then had it rewritten and said, let's go Ghostbusters and let's make Mario kind of a sleazy guy like Venkman and their plumber shop is called Leak Busters. I mean, they weren't subtle. No, that's that's when lawyers sue you. <laughs> then they did another rewrite and said, let's do Mad Max. I don't remember. I guess Super <laughs> Mario Kart. <laughs> Not out yet, but OK. It was going to be a desert death race with Mario. <laughs> OK. So they're thinking big picture. They're not concerned with following any, I don't want to call it a storyline. We all know that video games, they're a blueprint to a storyline, but they in and of themselves, except for the cutscenes in between, really don't tell a story so much as advanced level by level. Was Nintendo not giving them any notes about what they wanted Mario to do? Nintendo didn't give a damn. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine that in this day and age, any company signing over their most popular character and saying, do whatever you want, Hollywood? They were so focused on the Super Nintendo launch and Super Mario World. And they said, you go do what you want with your silly movie. We're going to focus on the games. That must be why there's no tie-in movie. Usually, when there was a movie connected with any kind of video game realm, there would be Super Mario Brothers, the movie, the game, you know, <laughs> they would make a game that could follow whatever. If Okay, so you want to do a Mad Max chasing the desert? We'll make a video game that 
follows that storyline. But this thing did not have any video game support that I know of. There were no games at all. There were action figures. Really? Yes. Wow. I did not know about this till I saw John Leguizamo on the 20th anniversary recorded something for that website I mentioned. And he's like, well... At least I got an action figure out of it. I held up the action figure, and then I hit YouTube. There's a commercial. They made a Mario. They made a Luigi. They made a King Koopa. They made the Goombas. Fisher Stevens got an action figure. Of course. So they did the casting. They decided to go with Bob Hoskins, who you're casting to look. He actually looks it. But it's kind of weird that you have a Hispanic and a Brit playing brothers from New York. Adoptive. They try to write that in there that I don't think that they're biological bloodline brothers. Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. But this thing went to hell pretty quick because what happened was they had the script. They had the script locked down. They got the cast. Okay. Cast signed contracts. Dennis Hopper signed up to play Koopa. Yes, this is Hopper and Leguizamo's first team up. Their second one, we reviewed Land of the Dead by George Romero. But then Joffe got cold feet just as they were starting to film and said, this film is too dark. Just to let you know, they actually had strippers on the set. There was nudity filmed. I can understand being worried about that. And you can go too dark. Just the previous year, there was a movie called Cool World. Nobody remembers it, but it was an early Brad Pitt film. And it had cartoons literally having sex with human beings. It was like Roger Rabbit, only with an X-rated bent to it. And guess where that ended up? In the trash. So you don't want it not to play to the six-year-old that wants to buy the Mario action figure. So they brought totally new screenwriters in at the last minute without the director's input and said, make it funnier, make it lighter, and then handed it back to the directors and said, this is your film. Okay. That's a good impulse, but did they totally rewrite it? They did a lot of changes, but here was a lot of the problem. By the time these screenwriters were writing it, they'd already built sets. And so the notes they were getting is, this movie's budgeted for $20 million. We can't build new sets. So let's put more and more stuff in the real world where we could just go to locations and film and it's not going to cost us much. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The directors almost quit over that. And maybe they should have. I mean, again, if you're not going to be able to have your idea done, I'm not sure that you want to go forward on a project that you don't have any stake in. Particularly if it's like your big directorial effort. I mean, yeah, DOA, but nobody saw that film. I loved it. (laughs) At this point, it's amazing that this movie even got made with all of the obstacles they've had to go around just to even get behind the cameras. Yeah, why not just fire them and take the time to do it right? Money was spent, sets were built, it was a go picture, they had the Nintendo deal, so they decided to keep on the directors. The cast all tried to quit. Ah. And they were all told, you signed a contract. They're like, well, we signed a contract to a different script. And they said, it does not matter. You signed a contract and we will sue you if you leave. It was a miserable shooting experience. Everybody on board knew they were making a bomb every day. John Leguizamo would go into Bob Hoskins' trailer and they got drunk Every day, almost every scene you see of them, they are drunk as hell, including sometimes where Leguizamo is actually driving a truck on real streets. He is completely blasted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, normally I don't support alcoholism, but then you watch a movie like this and you're like, I get it. (laughs) 
everyone knew this was a disaster. Just to summarize, and I suggest if you want to know more, go to that SMB site. But the directors apparently just constantly fought with each other and were like bad parents. And one person would say, come up here and tell John Leguizamo, don't do it funny. And Leguizamo would say, but the other director said, do it funny. No, don't do it funny. And then the other director would come up, why aren't you being funny? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That is a real mind screw. Okay. And then at one point during a scene with a bunch of costumed extras... Morton came in and said, you guys are supposed to look dirty. You're not dirty enough. Took his cup of scalding hot coffee and poured it over an extra. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that explains why they have no more directing credits on them. Again, I suspected unpopular directors just because this kills. It killed a lot of careers, but it definitely just flat out stopped theirs. They went back to TV ads and, you know, animated music videos. And that was it. I'm really surprised Roland Joffe would allow this. Given that he was a director, you would think that he would at some point just come in there and finish the film. That's exactly what happened. Oh, okay. Well, good. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't help. Oh, all right. I'm surprised only by that. The directors then got barred from the set mid-filming. He did the first unit. The DP started directing second unit stuff. Wow. And then the directors sued under arbitration and got Back on the set. <laughs> they couldn't get rid of them. Wow. Like fungus. It just, except you can't trust this fungus. All right. <laughs> and then they were barred from the editing room when shooting was over. They again went to the director's guild and got back in the editing room for one week. And then they were locked out again and just gave up. This movie, it was scheduled to shoot for six weeks at a budget of $20 million. Dennis Hopper said he was shooting this film for 17 weeks. Yeah. And he apparently, I actually bought John Leguizamo's autobiography because there's an entire chapter devoted to this movie. Mm. And he's a gossipy little bitch. It's a great book, actually. I'm (laughs) enjoying it. He talks smack about everyone, but he's talking. And during some bonus features on the, believe it or not, the UK got a special edition Blu-ray high def release with an hour long retrospective where they gathered as many actors as they could to talk about it. And everybody's like Dennis Hopper would come in here and be like, never in all my days have I ever seen such an unprofessional picture. They'd hand him new pages every single day and he'd throw it in the garbage and say, by the time I get to the set, it's going to be different anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, normally you might be like, oh, these poor directors with these out-of-control actors, but yeah, it sounds like they deserved it. It sounds like they cultivated it, and I mean, yeah, everyone knows Dennis Hopper can be difficult. I mean, he had that reputation, but he's worked with great directors, and if you match that quality, he will perform for you. But they spent $46 million making this film on a $20 million budget. This is Howard the Duck disaster, because yeah, this thing only made about, what, 20? 20. Yeah, so yeah, they lost their shirt. This is one of the biggest bombs up to that point of all time. Yeah, when I actually went to the Wikipedia page of bombs to discuss what movies are and aren't bombs, they actually have qualified how much you have to lose in order to be a bomb. In case you were wondering, the 2016 Ghostbusters does qualify as a bomb. Okay. And this movie was up there as one of the biggest bombs. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it explains a lot, but we still have to go through it, don't we? Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? I always knew it was bad. I didn't see it at the time. I do remember having a bad movie festival and bringing this movie on and kind of fast forwarding through it. I mean, we were watching Garbage Wheel Kids and Skateboard Kid, and this movie just... I remember 
just getting through it, but feeling like it wasn't as funny as I hoped. But other than that, I completely ignored this movie. I never saw it. Did you go to the theaters, Arnie? I did. Wow. This was back in a day when soundtracks were advertised as heavily as the movies. They'd have TV commercials about come see this movie that has a Roxette song in it and things. (laughs) Was that what brought you to the table? The soundtrack (laughs) for this movie was incredible. Oh, I've heard it. I mean, if it's Walk the Dinosaur, the Divinals covering Roxy music, it's incredible. You're right. Listen to the bands that were on here. I mean, these were all bands I was listening to in 1993 or before. Divinals is my number one. Now, I know most listeners probably are like the I Touch Myself people. The Divinals were an Australian alt-new wave band for years before they had their one hit in America, and they did some great music I loved. Yes, I Touch Myself turned me on to that band, but they are a tremendous band. I started getting everything they did. They had a song on here called Love is the Drug. It's a cover. I mean, don't get too excited. Yeah, George Clinton doing a cover of Walk the Dinosaur. <laughs> this oh. is not grabbing me. <laughs> You're running towards, I'm running away like it's napalm. And then Roxette. I loved Roxette back then. <laughs> I stand by loving Roxette. <laughs> Their song, Almost Unreal, was written for the film Hocus Pocus mm. and never used. Without ever telling them, the studio gave it to this movie and Roxette was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is 1993 we're talking. We're not talking 1987 here. Like, the Seattle incursion is already well underway at this point. Like, Nirvana and Pearl Jam should be the bands on your list, not Roxette. Yeah, I agree. But I know you like your soundtracks, Arnie. And you're right. It was a big selling point to any big theatrical film. It would sometimes make the difference. I wonder if something like Slither or even Pretty Woman would have been as big as they were if they didn't have those tunes. And honestly, this soundtrack really doesn't bother me. The only offender really is Walk the Dinosaur. That song has bothered me since the day it came out, and hearing it again brought up bad memories, but... (laughs) See, and here I am, a Was Not Was fan, too. I love Was Not Was. Hello, Dad, I'm in jail. I mean, I have several of their albums, a George Clinton cover, not as good as the original, but for reasons that aren't worth going into, but it involved me sneaking behind my mother's back to travel to a new city to buy a Guns N' Roses CD that was hard to find. And yet will be more interesting than the movie we're talking about. As I say, I almost want to hear that plot scenario. Yeah. (laughs) I told my mother I was going to see Super Mario Brothers. Then I drove to a different city and thinking I could get this Guns N' Roses CD and get back in time to see this movie, I got back like 20 minutes late and I'm like, you know, I might as well just go in anyway. There were some trailers and I told my mom I'm going to the movie. This way I'm not lying. So I walked into this movie 20 minutes late and the ticket takers even like, you want one for the current showing? Like, yeah. So this is my first time in my life seeing the opening to this film. I think I came in right about the time the pipes are flooding underwater and they go into an alternate dimension. Yeah. Well, the shorter, the better in my estimation. (laughs) (laughs) But when I saw this in theaters, I didn't know any of the material. All I'd read was one like Entertainment Weekly summer movie preview. And they had an interview with John Leguizamo. And I don't know if this is true or if he was joking, but he said to get in character, he actually shadowed a plumber for a while. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I mean, I read this in 1993, and I still remember exactly the words printed. The interviewer said, did you learn anything to bring to Luigi? He said, all I learned is the hot water pipes on the left and his boss is an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That has stuck with me for 25 years. What about you, Justin? Had you seen this before? You know, I I was aware of it. Never did sit down to see it. It feels like something that I might have seen at some point having younger brothers that this would have hit right in their wheelhouse. But yeah, no, this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. I mean... Seeing some of this stuff must have been in commercials or I might have walked through the room because the Goombas were definitely something I have seen before and I knew Bob Hoskins was in it, but that's about as far as I could have told you about it. If I had to come into this cold and give you a scenario, I couldn't have told you much. I, you know what? I just watched the movie and I don't know if I can tell you much more. <laughs> well, let's do it anyway, guys. Arnie, hit up the plots. Let's dive down the pipe and see how far we go. This was a hard job to do this plot. It surely was. There's a ton of characters in this, including Samantha Mathis, my girl from Pump Up the Volume. Yes! You know what? She looks so familiar to me. I'm like, why is this blonde lady so familiar? And I had to figure out she's from Pump Up the Volume. But sadly, she's got a huge resume. She's like still a working actress. (laughs) Sadly, she's still working. (laughs) Yeah, she was on the Stephen King series Under the Dome is the last place I saw her. But yeah, she was in the movie The Thing Called Love. She was apparently, according to John Leguizamo's autobiography, Samantha Mathis is a boy hopper. And she was dating Nick Cage when she started this movie and allowed John Leguizamo to steal her from Nick Cage. And before that, she was with... Christian Slater, and Nick Cage stole her from Christian Slater, and then during Thing Called Love, River Phoenix stole her from John Leguizamo. (laughs) Can you see how much we don't want to talk about the plot? (laughs) (laughs) But no, she was in Broken Arrow with Christian Slater again, and... Yeah, we could just make this a Samantha Mathis Where Are You Now show. (laughs) We've talked about her on The Punisher and Salem's Lot. See, she has quite the resume. Speaking of punishment, please go on. (laughs) Well, here she plays Daisy, an NYU student digging in Brooklyn for dinosaur bones. Because if there's one thing New York City has, it's a lot of land for excavation. Right there by the bridge, too. Yeah, and they didn't dig over in that corner, apparently. When a construction company sabotages her work, Daisy gets help from her new plumber friends, Mario, played by Bob Hoskins, and his brother Luigi, played by John Leguizamo. But deeper in the caves, they find an interdimensional portal where Daisy was kidnapped and taken into an alternate dimension, and Luigi and Mario follow. This alternate dimension is where the dinosaurs were sent when the meteor hit Earth 65 million years ago. And all that's left in that alternate dimension is the island of Manhattan after the rest of the world turned to desert. While apes evolved to humans in our dimension, there, dinosaurs evolved to humans. Okay. Hmm. But not mammals, because they lay eggs for birth. The dimension is ruled by the evil King Koopa, played by a slumming it Dennis Hopper. With his world so crowded, he wants to merge his dimension with ours so he can take over the entire Earth. To do that, he needs a shard of the meteorite that hit Earth 65 million years ago, which Daisy had. See, Daisy is a princess in this dimension, and when King Koopa started his coup, is it a Koopa? Yeah. Oh boy. (laughs) 
That's funnier than half of the jokes in this movie. <laughs> Daisy's mother smuggled her to Earth with the shard of the meteor. Now Koopa has the princess, but not the shard, as the Mario brothers accidentally ripped it off her neck trying to save her, but then they enter into the dino world and it's stolen from them by a club bouncer, and... I know you're confused, but it doesn't matter. Trust us. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. We'll get into it. But there's a lot of noise as Koopa and his goons Iggy, played by Fisher Stevens, and Spike, played by Richard Edson, who you probably best know as the parking lot attendant in Ferris Bueller. Yeah! They're chasing after the brothers, and the brothers are chasing after the shard, and then it's revealed Iggy and Spike are traitors against Koopa, loyal to the original king, who briefly is played by Lance Henriksen. But Koopa devolved the king into a fungus that spread throughout the island, and so it's a sentient fungus. This thing's messed up, okay? <laughs> There's also a subplot where Koopa's girlfriend, Lena, played by Fiona Shaw, feels spurned by Koopa. So she goes rogue and gets the shard and puts it in the meteor to merge dimensions, but the power kills her in the process. She damn well shanked Yoshi. I couldn't believe that shit. <laughs> Finally, after all these machinations, Mario faces off with Koopa and uses a ray gun to devolve the leader into a puddle of primordial ooze, and they also evolve the fungus back into the king to rule the world, but Princess Daisy stays in her birth world to get to know her father, while Mario and Luigi return to the real world to plumb. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> be heroes in this dimension or go back and be broke. You know, a turd's clogging my toilet, guys. Come get it out. <laughs> you know what? I'd rather get that turd than be stuck in this movie. And the turd in my toilet is the disc from this movie. <laughs> a few weeks later, though, Princess Daisy shows up on their doorstep saying she needs her help. They grab their plumber belts to go help as credits roll. And I got to ask... Did both of you eject the movie as fast as you could when credits rolled, or did you stay because there was an end of credit stinger? No way. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> did you know, or did you were you just sitting in shock? I typed notes, so I was working, and the movie was rolling, and I wasn't paying attention, and then I heard voices, and I looked up and saw the cute little end. I'll admit, it's my first time seeing the beginning of this movie. It's my first time seeing the very end, too, because I got the hell out of the theater when the credits were rolling. I didn't stick around for the reprise of Walk the Dinosaur. But to this day, I always fast forward to the very end of movies, every movie, I don't care what it is. And sure enough, yeah, Iggy and Spike have a final bonus scene. But mm, this movie, I mean, I gave you the summary. There's an alternate dimension, there's a kidnapped princess, there's a shard... There's King Koopa. I mean, I played the game. I know all these things. I don't. I still don't know how they fit into a story. But you know what? I'm, compliments are sparse. But I will say this. I take them at their premise. When they open up with this 8-bit version of Brooklyn in prehistoric times with dinosaurs and mammals talking in Brooklyn accents and the Big Bang happens and we find out that there's a rift and the dinosaurs went one way and the mammals stayed put... 
I'm going to go with that. It's a lot to cram into 30 seconds, which is what this intro tells us. Especially when voiced by Dan Castellaneta. You know, Homer Simpson is the one doing this narration. (laughs) Oh, cool. All right. But it's a lot to take. But you know what? I'll go with it. I mean, it's kind of Duck World. I mean, I don't love it. But all right. So there's a world that is reptilian. I mean, there's even a theory, right? Like all the powerful people in the world are reptiles or something. I mean, you could play with that. You could have an adult movie in which we have the idea that some people are actually lizards in disguise. It's a strange extrapolation to take from the fact that there's a little dinosaur looking thing called Yoshi in some of the games to create that as an entire plot point for this movie. But you're right, Stuart. Fine, that's where you're going. I'll go with it. Show me what you got. One of the things I've read in defense of this movie, one person said the worst thing about this movie is that it's named Super Mario Brothers. Because if this had been sold as an original concept and it was just an action film with this alternate dimension and no connection to video games, people would accept it a lot more. Well, I would because I wouldn't have to watch it. We're watching it because (laughs) it's a video game movie and I would love to accept the fact that I could turn it off at this point. The 8-bit opening, though, man, it's... (laughs) It was aviator level again. I'm like, wait, this is a new television. Is this breaking on me? And I had the international disc, so it's in a region-free Blu-ray player. I'm like, is my Blu-ray player showing it wrong? Why does it look like crap? I didn't get that they were trying to make it pixelated and all 8-bit for that opening. Yeah, Morton and Jenkel, they made a lot of music videos. They didn't do Aha, which is, I think, the most famous music video with animation, but they did one earlier than that with Elvis Costello and Tom Tom Club's Genius of Love. This is their animation style. This is actually how a lot of their work looks. This idea of the crude dinosaur graphics. It's a style, I guess. Again, I'm I'm just trying to swallow the premise and say, okay, two different worlds, probably connected by a pipe, and we're going to get some interplay between those two worlds. That is, I guess, acceptable. Why weren't they connected by a pipe? I mean, yeah. yes. <laughs> Uh, It wouldn't take a genius, you would think. But they have all of this strangeness. Then we jump to 20 years before, which would make it 1973, and some future woman from the dinosaur realm drops off a bassinet at a nunnery, and it lays an egg that will grow up to be Daisy. She's being smuggled out of the dinosaur world because... General Koopa, I think we see Dennis Hoffer very briefly with a whole bunch of epaulots on his uniform. He is, I think, at that moment, taking over Dinosaur Realm. Mm-hmm. This is the moment he's overthrowing the king. She kills herself by cutting off whatever passage is between the two worlds. Yeah, she's crushed under the rocks. A lot of this survives from, like I said, those previous drafts. And one of them, they went biblical They said there was a prophecy that King Koopa would be overthrown by plumbers, so he has every plumber in his dimension killed. No, I don't (laughs) agree with that one. Uh, Well, some of that seems to have made it through because they kept saying the word plumber as if it meant something more than somebody who works on pipes and toilets. And the idea was to get Daisy away because I guess we're going to find out Daisy is the 
one who would have the power to merge the universes. And so since she could do it, we have to hide her because if Koopa gets her, then he'll use her to merge the dimensions. And that's just one giant pill to swallow. There's no reason why she's the only one. Just accept it and take it or run screaming. She's the treasure. Yeah, she's the treasure. Okay, so she's magic. She's dinosaur magic, but she doesn't know it because she grows up in this Brooklyn church. She is drawn to the Paleolithic world, and that leads to a career studying it at New York University. She's an archaeologist and a paleontologist because secretly she doesn't know it, but she's actually a dinosaur. Yeah, she's not even a mammal. Doesn't she wonder why she's laying eggs and not having a period? I mean, seriously there are questions to be answered here she has no belly button they clearly show the baby just has goo where a belly button should be Ah, uh, yes very very good questions that i'm sure all eight-year-olds watching this are, are wondering as well now i did read various script notes little things are floating around the internet and i did read because i knew this thing was obviously rewritten and rewritten and rewritten I did read where somebody came in and suggested that maybe the plumbers are just working at the orphanage and that they are the ones that find this secret medallion that is actually a sliver taken off the meteor and that that's how they come into the story. To me, that seems pretty clean. That seems like the way to go. Instead, we have this very garbled idea that they just happen to have a common enemy with Daisy because of these mobster construction guys, Capelli. Yeah, who's a contractor who wants to build on the dig site. This, I firmly believe, is that somebody wanted to build on that very valuable land there instead of just letting an NYU student continue to dig. Not even real scientists, just a student-led project, but... These guys, they really go all out. And you said Duck World. I got a lot of Howard the Duck parallels off of this, really. I mean, from the dark cinematography to just the wrongness. I mean, when you see Mario and Luigi's apartment, they have plungers hanging on the wall. Again, plungers touch shit. They touch who? You then come home and put that on your wall? (laughs) And wonder why there's fungus growing on your ceiling. I don't know, but here's the thing. Do we even like them? If there's one thing that's important that this movie has to get right, we could go through a lot of shenanigans, silliness. We have to like these characters, understand where they're coming from. We're given one basic conflict straight up the top. Is that Mario is practical. He's the money guy. We're going broke. And so we'll take any job that gets called. And Luigi is the fanciful guy that through magical thinking thinks that problems get fixed He believes everything the tabloids print. He believes there's alternate dimensions, UFOs, and he'll be proven right. Because he's the dreamer, he will eventually lead them into this alternate Koopa dimension. And I will say this, Hoskins is doing his level best to try to be likable. He's trying to shake off the character from Roger Rabbit, where he was kind of a grumpier, older dude. Here he's at least trying to be likable, but is it working? It feels very put on. Especially against Leguizamo, who comes off more childish just naturally with the way he talks and his body language and all that. So... It's a valid question. Do we like these guys? I do like these brothers. Maybe it's because of the Mario connection, but first of all, I think that 
they do the Brooklyn accent just really well. And especially given that I didn't know or I didn't remember that Bob Hoskins is English. And he's not just English, he's Cockney. I mean, he was chim chimney chim chim true in the bonus features. I couldn't understand a damn thing he was saying. That he could go from that to this is astounding. People need to understand this. I'm familiar with his earlier work prior to Roger Rabbit. He played heavies. He was in British gangster movies. The reason why they put him in Roger Rabbit is because he was known to be a tough guy. And so they thought that could play well. He is not someone you invite into the kids program. And I just think that he's out of his element here. If he's supposed to be working class, certainly he can do that. But I mean, it just takes a lot more to be charming to children than eating a plate of spaghetti and wearing a mustache. That they just go to gross stereotypes because this is not a movie about characterization. These are directors that do not care about a Establishing the characters. And who knows who directed what scenes, but the one who really wins me over is Leguizamo. I always like John Leguizamo. He ad libs most of his dialogue in every film. That's what I learned again from his autobiography. He's brought in to be the funny, likable guy who's Every take is going to give you a different quip, a different joke. And I really like him. And I like him when he's immediately smitten by Samantha Mathis to the point that he hangs up on his paying customer and gives her the phone and gives her the quarter. Leguizamo carries me through this. And I think because Leguizamo and Hoskins are always looking out for each other, that Hoskins rides for me on Leguizamo's charisma. I'll agree with that too. And it's a little bit more of a precarious thing for me because for me, Leguizamo, I can take him or leave him. I mean, he's one of those guys that sometimes can really irk me and what he's doing can bother me. And if I'm not going to go with him on this movie, I'm going to have a bad time for the next hour and a half. But so far up to this point, I'm following him and I think he's given it a good go. And I'm invested at least in his side of the story of this brotherly love. These two guys may have been completely blitzed out of their mind on liquor every shoot. But honestly, I have so many problems with this movie. But It's almost like they're walking through it with such disbelief and such fervor that I feel like they're on my side. Like, not quite winking at me like, can you believe how bad this shit is? But I never have a problem with either of their performances given the ludicrous things they have to do. My entire problems with their characters is what's written for them, not how it's portrayed. Now, I got problems with a lot of other actors in this, but those two... I can't compliment them because there's nothing complimentary in this movie, but they do fine and I never turn on them. By asking, do you like them? I'm not saying, could you've gotten better actor? Tom Hanks wouldn't have fixed this. Robert De Niro wouldn't have fixed this. It wouldn't have mattered who you put in the role. My question is simply, are there things here for an adult or for a child to grab onto in these opening scenes? I do think you're right, Arnie, in that Leguizamo at least has the perspective a child could understand. He is so childlike in this film He seems simple. And in that way, because he has magical thinking, because he just doesn't stress the way that the adult Mario does, kids are probably going to be inclined to follow Luigi in this film. But is that enough to get us to what everybody's here for, which is something otherworldly? And I feel like this part of the movie is, even though it's setting up characters and whatnot, giving us some backstory... It's dragging. It feels like it's a half hour before we even get into the warp zone. Yeah, not that far off. It's about 20 some odd minutes at 22. And in this time, the only real action we have beyond Leguizamo crashing the van and doing silly stuff is that there's some strange guys who abduct the wrong woman. Instead of abducting Daisy, they abduct Mario's girlfriend. 
Yeah, and you're hearing this report in various news cycles that Brooklyn Night women are going missing. I get confused because Scapelli, the mobster, at one point threatens Daisy and says, there's a lot of Brooklyn girls that are missing. You could be next. I'm thinking that it's a mob plot. So it takes me a beat to realize that there are dinosaur people here that are grabbing them indiscriminately. I think they're going around sniffing women. And I think that if they smell enough like a Daisy, they bring them back to Koopa. And he says, no, that's not her. Well, in a more competent script, Scapelli would have been somehow tied to Koopa in the two worlds. But yeah, this is a lot of Fisher Stevens. We got a lot of him in Short Circuit too. I think I got my fill of him there. I feel like this is not something that I want as an adult watching this movie to see take over the film. He is giving a bigger, more scene-stealing performance than the Mario Brothers. At some point in my life, and I never know what happened there, I believe Fisher Stevens was an actor with integrity who wouldn't just take any given role. But now that I'm looking at his career from Hackers to Short Circuit and especially this movie, no, I think he'll take any job. Yeah, I wonder why you ever had that impression. I guess this is probably the same question Michelle Pfeiffer wonders when she was like, why was I with him for so many years? (laughs) I wasn't sure that it was Fisher Stevens at first, and I had a note like, wow, they really wanted to get a Fisher Stevens type, but couldn't. Oh, it's actually him? Okay, great. (laughs) Without the facial hair and things, I actually, it took me about a third of the movie to realize that was Fisher Stevens. You mean he's not Indian? (laughs) (laughs) i knew it was him and again they're doing broad bits that you would do in a children's show my complaint is as an adult there's nothing for me here i can't relate to these brothers i can't find a human drama storyline and so i'm just watching people do big silly stereotypical performances and you're right that just means that we're just waiting to get to the world nothing here in new york is interesting And when they finally get there, it's so convoluted. The Scapelli plumbers in full Scapelli onesies go to sabotage the plumbing in the paleontology dig. And so Mario has to come and stop this leak. But that's when Iggy and Spike grab Daisy and they don't run to a pipe, despite the fact that there's pipes. This cave portal was something introduced several drafts ago the early early drafts did have them going through a pipe into a warp zone i don't know why they took that out i think it's because these people who made the movie never played the game yeah i can believe that it doesn't feel like the game and again i barely played the game myself but i know that they didn't just jump through a rock face and that rock face did you notice they set it up earlier They had Luigi playing with one of those Spencer 3D boxes with all the pins that like you put on your face and it gives you the face. And then they use that exact effect for this portal. Yeah, you can tell that screenwriters wrote this. Like they try to introduce (laughs) things that, I mean, they know how to shape things. We'll introduce it in act one and it'll come back later. But when you see what they're introducing and what they're doing, you'll wonder why. This is obviously not the way to bring us into the Mario world. And this is obviously not the Mario world that everyone has been playing once we get a look at it. Yeah, once you get in there and you see that they aren't in a bright blue sky, they aren't underwater, they're not in a castle with a fiery moat. I love that the early drafts of this actually had King Koopa on a pirate ship. 
that would float around because that's the big level on several Mario games is you're on a pirate ship and jumping oh. over cannons and things. I loved some of those earlier ideas. And then, yeah, they completely go into this Cleveland. Did they not see Howard the Duck? <laughs> Did they not know that they were? I mean, this is just one lesbian biker gang away. Yeah, again, that had to be why they were doing some of the script shuffling. As someone said, doesn't this feel a little bit like Howard the Duck? I mean, yes, it feels a lot like Howard the Duck. They're shooting for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but they're hitting Howard the Duck. Yeah, and it feels like they're on a set of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Total Recall. Well, they got the production designer from Blade Runner and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Wow, this is no Blade Runner. I mean, I want to stress, whew, when you see this, you know you're not watching Batman or Blade Runner. Like, this thing looks dinky unappealing, uninspired. I think to some degree, it's supposed to look unpleasant because what we'll find out is that we know that so many lizards here are in squalor. They're not getting water. They're not getting amenities. King Koopa, he's putting up signs saying, vote for me, but he actually, you know, it's rigged, right? He is just deposed the real king and keeping power by suppressing all the lizards here. And this whole world, it's so crazy. They went to a cement plant in North Carolina to rebuild this because the director said they must have control over all the lighting in this fake Manhattan. So they did this instead of actually filming in Manhattan, which is what the producers wanted to do, was actual location filming. No, they film on this stage, which has a feeling of smallness that if you've ever been in Manhattan, you do not feel. It feels tall, I'll give it that. It is very three-dimensional in that they have level upon level upon level, but it does not have a depth to it where it ever feels like the main, I guess, Times Square area of Dino Hatton here is connected to any of the places that Dennis Hopper is. And Dennis Hopper, man, they decide to make King Koopa by giving him a Max Headroom haircut? Is it Max Headroom or is it Donald Trump? <laughs> I know that we're inclined to see Trump in everything these days because, you know, the media cycles 24-7 covering him. But he was a figure of mockery in the early 90s. He was a New York real estate figure that everyone made fun of. And I think that he might have been an influence by having a Koopa Tower and all of that. I have to believe that he was a model. And he certainly kind of looks like him. Certainly. You know, and the attitude he has, it, it, it's very Trumpian. And it's not, like you said, sort not just because Trump is very much on the front of everyone's mind right now. I, I do believe that there was some truth in that there. But to what Arnie's saying, you're right, Arnie, this feels like it's shot in a wing of a closed down mall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perfectly phrased. Yeah, this is so small. But I'll tell you, the one person I did not recognize, not just Fisher Stevens, but when the Mario Brothers get there and run into Toad, I did not know that's what Mojo Nixon looked like. Oh, yes. You know it's the early 90s if Mojo Nixon and Max Hedrum are, are a thing here. But yeah, if you are our age and, and watch MTV, you remember him for really extolling Elvis a lot. The king! You know, that was his deal. And so now he's a protest singer on the street talking crap about King Koopa. And when he is devolved into a Goomba, isn't that like a insulting term about an Italian, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, Mario might be as well. <laughs> but 
when he's devolved, he's like, the king is everywhere. That's when I'm like, oh my God, that's Mojo Nixon. I'm like, he's in your peanut butter. I'm just waiting for him to go further with it. And I like that they use him that way. And yes, as I just mentioned in the plot summary, the king is everywhere. The real king of this land. There's a strange fungus growing everywhere. And we're going to find out that it is the king. So Mojo Nixon wasn't just talking out of his butt. <laughs> the king was everywhere and somehow Mojo knew it. Yeah, this is a really strange development. Okay, so this shutdown mall they're calling a sprawling metropolis is, yes, also covered in this mucousy, cobwebby fungus that Luigi believes, because he has the child perspective to believe in fantastical things, is sentient, that it's alive, that it's trying to help them, that it's handing them bombs and trying to whisper things to them. Ba-bombs. Ba-bombs? Ba-bombs. Ba-bombs and mushrooms, you know, finally starting to see some elements from this damn game that it's supposed to be based on. I'm at least enjoying that. The babam looks exactly like it does in the game. Yeah, and it's also from Scott Pilgrim. They were sex babams. Yeah. That was a Mario reference. No, you know, again, I'm not Mario savvy, so I'll take what I can get. There are few compliments that I have for anything that I'm seeing. I will say one nice little detail. I had to think about it for a second. But in a world where dinosaurs lived, you wouldn't have oil. So all the cars are electrical. I thought that was kind of funny. I did notice that. I didn't realize the oil bit. I just thought they were really ahead of us in terms of ecologic savings. Like, maybe we want King Koopa to take us over and save the environment. No, but, you know, it leads to what ends up being just very noisy chases where they steal police cars and what have you. I wish that this was a smarter satire. I don't know if those earlier scripts that got thrown out and rewritten to be more quote-unquote commercial throughout that kind of smart detail. I know Max Hedrum, the TV series, had that smart detail, but honestly, they would have been better to make a movie that was too smart for kids than this film. People said that those scripts and this script, the movie we're seeing, is supposed to have an anti-consumerism vibe, and King Koopa is evil consumerism, and we're supposed to be getting away from that. I don't get it out of this movie, but I didn't read the other scripts. I just read the summaries of them. I mean, I think just by him being a dinosaur, a dinosaur is a metaphor itself for something that will be extinct, that is living in a way that will go by the wayside. And so, yes, the fact that they live in a desert, they don't have food, all of that is leading to King Koopa thinks that if he can get the shard of the crystal and the princess, he can open up the portal and take over Mammal World, our world. And putting Earth in danger is helpful. Gives it a little bit more stakes to say, dinosaurs are going to come after us. My problem is, I suppose, that they're supposed to be dinosaurs and I get that the Goombas have lizard heads here. In the game, the Goombas were mushrooms and there were turtles you fought that were called Koopas. But I'm really kind of confused, A, by the dinosaur thing, and B, why we never really get Dennis Hopper dinoing out. There's so many opportunities for that, but he really just stays evil Dennis Hopper doing his thing the entire movie. No, no, no. You're forgetting the climax where he does get hit with the Devo gun and actually turns into a T-Rex for a moment. For a second, but I wanted like a T-Rex battle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I nominate you to walk up to the screaming Dennis Hopper and tell him he's going to have to spend five hours in the makeup chair every day this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. They couldn't ask him to do more. It was enough just to have him show up on set and he's going to do whatever he's going to do and i think that hairdo is all that he was willing to do but yes you're right 
It would have been more fun if we saw that he was a T-Rex. You know, this is coming out the same summer as Spielberg's <laughs> Jurassic Park. People have that on the brain. It would have been fun to have a comedic counterpart. They had to really rein him in because he was telling the directors he was going to walk around like a dinosaur. He'd done a dinosaur prance and he was keeping his arms up like little T-Rex arms oh. next to him the whole time. <laughs> and you could still see some of it in certain performances. Like when he says, I'm T-Rex, King of the Lizard. He has his arms up in the little T-Rex vestigial useless arm pose. <laughs> I support that. I mean, you don't want to do too much of it because you end up being the Flintstones and it just becomes 90 minutes of rock puns. You know, <laughs> you don't want it just to be all lizard this, lizard that, lizard that. But to have something that rewards people that aren't six, I think would be much appreciated here. To have knowledge of a satire of our world as it would be represented by lizards and watching actors perform as lizard people I think is something that should have been encouraged here. Yeah, all they have is, again, like Duck World. Like, they have the lounge lizard. Everything is named lizard or dragon or dinosaur. It's not like we walk around and are like, do you want to eat at McMonkey or do you want to go to Ape King? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. But, again, a little goes a long way with that. Yeah, again, Flintstones. That's a cautionary tale. I support Diz Hopper in this. It sounds like he had the right idea to make this a little bit more fun. And he has this girlfriend, Lena, who's kind of hanging on. She's the ultimate henchman. Like, she's his pepper pots, I guess, would be the analogy I'd go with. Only they're both very old and unattractive. (laughs) But he's not into her. She is crushing on him. She's devastated that he's into the princess. And that's one of the few times we do see him kind of lizard out is that he sticks out his tongue when he sees Daisy and, you know, it's like a lizard tongue. And he's, you get the idea that he has some untoward ideas about her in the bedroom after they conquer the mammal world. Oh, that scene was more than a little bit unnerving. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the scenes where it's like, okay, who is this movie for? Because that had way too much adult theme to it without humor. It wasn't a humorous hitting on her. It was creepy old man hitting on her. And it's definitely not playing to kids. Plus, it's Dennis Hopper. I'm always going to think about Frank Booth. You know, it just blue velvet is going to color this. So, yeah, it's definitely not for kids. But this feels also too soon. Am I right that the Mario Brothers are going to escape and go to the desert only to kind of turn around and come back to the city. You look at Wizard of Oz, they followed a yellow brick road to get to Emerald City. You don't start at Emerald City, run out and play with the Scarecrow, and then come back. (laughs) And there's the whole subplot where as soon as they got here, Big Bertha, there's an original name for a character who's large, and they're getting mugged for the shard because somebody thinks it's jewelry. Big Bertha intervenes with her jump boots... That's from the game, I'm guessing? You can fly around in magic boots? No, it's just that Mario can jump, and so they decided to make a sci-fi reason so that later on they could do the super jumps of the Marios. Oh. Yeah. And if there's $42 million, none of it went to the special effects of people jumping, by the way. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) But you're right. She's a bouncer at a bar, and she ends up with the crystal, and yet the Marios drive away... And it's a chase to get them because they don't have the crystal. Yeah, this is just disorganized. I mean, it's the kind of bad that announces we need to stop this production and shuffle this and get it correct so that people can follow what's going on. I actually can follow this. And the thing I'll give this movie is I really tried to find the points where something didn't make sense. This plot 
is terrible. The ideas in here are crap, but yet I was able to follow every single scene to every single other and setups that had payoff and things. Here, they don't have the shard, but Koopa doesn't know they don't have the shard. So he's having the people chase them thinking they have the shard and they're just on the run. They didn't realize the shard was important. So why would they fight Big Bertha for it when they don't know? Yeah, that's bad. It's bad, 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 bad. I want to tell potential screenwriters, don't have characters chasing other characters who don't have what the characters want. That's not satisfying at all. No, it's not satisfying. But at no point is it that I couldn't, I really was trying every time to ask in a scene why they're doing it and that it didn't make sense. I was able to follow everybody's motivation beginning to end of this movie. I mean, these are the slimmest of compliments is that your film isn't incoherent. Yeah, I mean, I guess my biggest complaints are in some of the decisions in between the plot points. And it's what was the point of evolving these two dummies into a smarter characters. Was that just to show that the machine works both ways? I'm not sure because the payoff is that what? That they have a bigger vocabulary now? Yeah, I mean, they just end up being just as stupid. They drive off of a cliff. The payoff is that Fisher Stevens thinks he can have his own spinoff. What I hear was that he and his co-star went to the studio and said, we're just going to write our own parts here. We think we should do this. And because this production was in such chaos, they were like, okay, well, we'll do that. We'll try it out. Anything that'll make this thing better, they inflated their roles in this movie. We wouldn't have nearly as much Iggy and Spike as we do if Fisher Stevens wasn't so enterprising. What I got from Richard Edson is that they were trying to outdo each other because Fisher Stevens was trying to hog the spotlight. And so Richard Edson was was trying to overplay him so that he didn't stand in Fisher Stevens' shadow the whole time. And so those two really were in competition so that one wasn't getting all the funny lines and scenes. But here, yeah, if they could evolve them into smarter, why didn't he do that years ago? It's not like they're like, we just built this evolution ray. And it's the punishment for anyone who breaks the law, like Toad, Mojo Nixon, is they get put here and devolved into seven foot trench coat wearing lizards with really tiny heads. I mean, it reminded me of the end of Beetlejuice with the shrunken head syndrome. Yeah, it wants you to, but this is not Burton art direction. No, it reminded me of Spinal Tap, where some art director drew the design and somebody else made it and they brought it to sets. Like, what are you doing? This is way too small. Like, it was supposed to be three times that size. <laughs> Just go with it. We'll pop them on top of a big body and nobody will know the difference. I think if they moved well, I could go along with it. Okay, isn't it funny they have small heads, but these puppetry in this is just awful. It's just awful. There's also a subplot that goes nowhere that Koopa is a germaphobe. He hates that his world is dirty and he's like dipping his hands in hot wax to clean them and he's taking mud baths that he likes because it's dirty and clean at the same time. <laughs> Well, that's because everything is fungus. I mean, everything's being defungus because the old king that he deposed has returned to the city as a fungus plague. So again, I that's a Trump thing. I mean, he's known to be a germaphobe. I think they were satirizing him even back then. And I also just took it that it was a vanity thing because what he's actually dipping his hands in, Arnie, is a paraffin wax. And that's to keep your hands moisturized. And it's a spa treatment, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> again, and it, this movie does feel dirty. 
I mean, I it is grimy. It is gross. Alan Silvestri is doing the score. He is trying to make you think when they're driving around that you're watching Back to the Future, but it is not. It is a dingy, ugly, disgusting movie, the likes of which I haven't seen since Garbage Pail Kids. One of the things that I've learned through doing Now Playing, and it's just a weird thing that almost every director says in a commentary I listen to, is never let an actor drive. Actors have severe problems trying to perform and operate a motor vehicle, and that's why they're always being towed and everything. Well, here, John Leguizamo was really driving, and he really slammed the brakes and caused a door to slam and broke Bob Hoskins' hand. Ouch. Well, good thing he was drunk. He didn't feel it. (laughs) (laughs) So during certain scenes, they painted Bob Hoskins' cast pink. And so you can see if his hand looks rather stiff, that there's a cast over it for some of these scenes. But yes, they didn't have stunt drivers. John Leguizamo was doing the driving. Yeah, these are all bad directing choices. These are novice choices that if you had gotten, you know, any hack would know how to stage this action better. I mean, I really take dispute with whoever online said this movie would be fine if you took away the Super Mario Brothers. No, that's what put butts in the seats, but this is a piss poor fantasy. No, the action here is terrible. When they go out to the desert and the fungus saves them... Why are they in the desert? It's not like they have a vision. They don't have, like, a spirit quest in the desert like Jim Morrison and then return with knowledge. Well, because of the video game, you play levels where you go desert, 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 and eventually get to... Do you get to a tower? Is that the final... A castle. Okay, well, close enough. I mean, to me, you start in the desert and then you go to the city. That makes more narrative sense, but they spill the beans by delivering the Koopa world, and then, yeah, they run out into the sand just to run back again. Yeah, there's less than no point to it, because they basically were escaping, and then immediately wanted to get back. They even had to team up with the dummy twins to sneak back in in a dump truck. Okay, I need to reverse something I said. When I said everything had clear motivation and I could follow A to B, alright, there's one exception to that. Why the hell did Iggy and Spike change sides? Like, it's not because they became smarter and wanted to overrule. They say that they've been working with King Fungus from the start? Well, that I don't understand. But yeah, it's because they got smart and intellectual and then they start hanging out at the Boom Boom Bar and realize that they could take over, that they could run this place better than Koopa. I don't think you have to be that smart to realize that. But the way it said, I got, and Justin, maybe you can tell me if you got the same, I got that they were double agents from the beginning. And even when they were stupid, they were getting close to King Koopa so that they could then betray him and help the real king. I think that's the way that they want it to be portrayed for sure. And I think whoever was in charge at this point said, sure, nobody's going to care. Fisher Stevens is angling to be in the sequel, right? He wants to be a part of when the the, the next kingdom is in jeopardy. And because there wasn't a lot of ad-libbing going on here, perhaps none of this was in the script and they just like... I do know at certain points those characters just faded out and they had a different character helping Mario and Luigi and they decided to combine them and have these characters change allegiances. But when they change allegiances, I think we're going to get Dennis Hopper in some makeup because they put him in the chair and devolve him. And when he comes out, he's the exact same. Like his face, we briefly see a lizard, but... I want some freaking Brundlefly like transformation, or I want him to come out with a dinosaur head or something, a tail. Give him something. He just comes out looking like Dennis Hopper. Yeah, at least. 
put scales on them or something, you know? Uh, you can tell Mr. Hopper that. I'm sure he would love all your ideas to do that. <laughs> Again, it's a production in chaos. Someone had an idea to do something. Someone had another idea to do something entirely different. The editor, for whatever reason, didn't snip some of this stuff so that it would flow better. But yeah, that scene where he gets thrown in the, the evolution machine should just not even be in this movie because he didn't evolve. No. Everybody else who goes in there comes out a Goomba. You know, I would have even gone with him looking the same, but all of a sudden he's more reptilian. He's hissing a little bit. Maybe now you bring in the Dennis Hopper dino prance. Maybe now he's more bestial. Maybe now where he didn't like Lena before, now he just wants to procreate with every female around to spread his eggs. But nothing like that happens. And I'm not quite sure what to make of his prisoner, Samantha Mathis, who's just locked up for most of the movie with pet Yoshi. I mean, that is her role in the video game. She's a princess and she needs saving. I mean, these are fairy tale logic. It would be for this movie to make her more interesting, and they don't. They have her standing around in a barracks with the other stolen Brooklynite women. And then later, yeah, she's taken to a bedroom. I mean, again, I think they're leading towards something kind of gross here. But Yoshi is the choice to make him an actual, like, rod puppet dinosaur. And not like the cute thing that I think of um, on the box for Super Mario 3 was a, a surprising choice. I mean, he's not cute. You wouldn't want a doll of this. No. They said they made the eyes bigger so that he'd be cute, but I did not get that. And you know what? Super Mario 2, the princess was a playable character. The mm. princess picked up stuff and fought alongside Mario, Luigi, and Toad. So that's what they based the cartoons after. The princess, while she did get captured a lot in the cartoons, also fought alongside the others. You didn't have to have that. And how could Mario not storm the wrong building and be told, hey, your princess is in another castle? There was two towers, right? Like, why not? It's set up right there. This is the part where the movie did throw me for a little bit of a curve, because when they introduced Yoshi, I assumed that that was her father. You know, because they're making it very, <laughs> very clear that he's still around. He's around here somewhere. It's like, oh, and we've seen the devolution machine. Maybe he got devolved all the way back to a dinosaur. Nope, he's devolved all the way back to moss. But I think that would almost play better as if Yoshi was her father. Agreed. I uh, There's a lot of ways to make this better, and that would have been one of them. I'm not sure if any of it would have made this a good movie, but there are a hundred opportunities every scene to make things better. Instead, you just get awful moments like the Boom Boom Bar scene, where Mario and Luigi are now in pimp outfits and dancing to bad R&B. Yeah, well, there, there's some... There, there's two finals in there, too. But, yeah, this whole thing, and, man, <laughs> the fact that... A very important scene of the movie rests on Bob Hoskins pushing his face into a large bosomed woman's chest. Just shows a movie off the rails. This is the scene where the directors brought in real strippers and film stuff that, of course, it's on the editing room floor. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like a, an ode to Temple of Doom's beginning where it's get the crystal, right? Like the bouncer who's not at the door, but wandering around on the dance floor, has the crystal around her neck. So get it, kick it, who will end up with it? Lena, for some reason, ends up with it, and the boys blast away on magic boots. But I just want to point out the craft of this. When you look at Spielberg and the way, you might not like Temple of Doom. Many people complain it's a weak Indiana Jones movie, but look at the craft of the way he staged that nightclub scene in Shanghai, and you know that that's exciting and fun, independent of itself. This scene with Big Bertha, I mean, it's just a nightmare. 
Oh, at this point, I'm just glad as can be that this didn't break into a choreographed song and dance with our main cast characters singing and mugging at the camera. I mean, maybe not the main characters, but did you notice that there was a choreographed do the dinosaur? Yeah, and that's what scared me. I was like, oh no, is Bob Hoskins going to like grab a mic and start singing directly to the camera here? Can I also point out that Walk the Dinosaur is only three years old and it's already being remade? <laughs> Strange. By George Clinton, a funk master who is better than anyone in was not. What? Oh, but Stuart, didn't you hear? It's not boom, boom, shakalaka like a boom. It's goom, goom, shakalaka like a goom, 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 shakalaka like goomba. So that way they brought in the Mario. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine someone doing Who Let the Dogs Out in a movie right now? I mean, we'd all be like, why? Why? Well, it's got dogs in it. No. No. You just leave it. That was a novelty thing that never should have happened. I know there are dinosaurs in this movie. You don't need to walk the dinosaur scene. You don't need it. The trailer used snaps. I've got the power, which was at least better, but still an odd choice for this movie. Yeah, so I think we're at something called a climax. They jump into a garbage truck. It dumps them in front of Koopa Tower. And now they have to scale the building. And so that's kind of like a video game level. That feels like, all right, they're navigating pipes. Luigi is having to rely on the plumbing mentorship. They turn off the heat so everything freezes and they're sliding around. Is this part of the game? Is this look like any level of a Mario game? No. No, no, nothing like that. And you say we're at a climax. Yeah, there's still 40 more minutes. I know. And I will point out, this is the first time they're wearing anything that could even be considered like what you could see them in the video game as. They start off in the pimp suits. And when the movie started, they were reversed. They had Luigi in red and Mario in a grayish green. But yes, they decide to do what they do best and be plumbers. They grab plumber outfits out of the closet. The directors never wanted these outfits in the movie. And the producers are like, no, they should wear this costumes the entire movie. And so they compromised. And during this climax, they do it. And they win by having Goombas dance in an elevator? The Loris theme from Dr. Zhivago, no less. <laughs> Mario, as far as I know, doesn't like complete the level by jumping in an elevator. But believe me, that's like how they get through 50 floors. Just taking the elevator with a bunch of Goombas, and because Luigi is bored, he starts getting them to sway back and forth to the elevator music. And later, that sort of comes back into the climax, because they start dancing and not listening to Koopa. And why not take a moment here, or at least a cue from the video game, which if it has nothing else, it has a decent score. Super Mario Brothers is known for the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Like, make a modern version of that with instruments or something and have that be the thing that hypnotizes the reptiles. I think they were hits. I mean, I remember them doing it in a techno fashion around this time. I mean, the Mario theme charted. You should definitely use it and not Roxette. Yeah, they also did orchestrated versions. There have been concerts of the music. I mean, yes, they should have done that, except that soundtrack wouldn't sell as well as something with Roxette. I mean... I bought this soundtrack before I saw the movie. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about Roxette when we get there. But again, I feel like we're at least in a video game movie once they're working their way up through levels and turning off pipes and getting to the princess. How did Lena get the crystal? I guess she just got it at the dance club and decides not to hand it over to Koopa. She's going to unite the worlds herself to... Here's what I got. Okay. Because I think I was following it, is she got the crystal, she's upset 
because she realizes Koopa doesn't love her. Koopa has eyes for the young hot model. Okay. And so she gets the crystal because she wants to merge worlds to prove to him, hey, look, I'm really useful to you. You should love me because I gave you what you wanted. I'm merging the worlds. Okay. Only the princess can do it, but she's going to trump that by doing what only the princess can do. And, and it turns her into a pile of bones. I didn't think she knew it would kill her, obviously. It's at that point where Daisy, out of nowhere, goes, only I can do it. Nobody knew that until that time, except maybe Koopa. But I did get a big Indiana Jones vibe out of Lena putting in the rock and then turning into a skeleton. It, to me, was like looking in the ark or drinking from the wrong cup. You're not actually drinking from the Holy Grail, and so you turn into a skeleton and die here. She did the forbidden shard and turned into a skeleton. I wish I understood. I mean, again, I don't need much. But the physics of why a chip from the meteor with some magic gobbledygoo is going to bridge the worlds. I mean, is there anything simplistically that could explain the comet tearing a rift that can be mended by a piece of itself? I think we asked this before. This has nothing to do with anything out of any of the games either. So it's it almost feels like it could be a video game conceit where it's like, find the crystal and return it to its mother. But yeah, it's just, they went with this direction and this is where we end up, in a cave with a, a, a <laughs> meteor missing a chunk. I guess it makes the princess important. Otherwise, she would just literally just be meat that the bad guy was slobbering over. <laughs> Here, she can do something nobody else can do. And thus, Mario goes and rescues all the Brooklyn women and is sending them back. And then he's fighting Koopa. And it looks like you said this was a cement factory. It looks like they just kept part of that. There's like this giant <laughs> strainer just hanging around downtown at some point, And they're just kicking each other on it. I'm like, I think they just kept a piece of the old building and said, well, <laughs> I love, though, when they find the old king and it's the fungus and Luigi is proven right. Because he proves he's sentient by what comes out looks like a descending testicle of fungus <laughs> just coming out. Yeah. I, was it supposed to be a mushroom or, or or something phallic? I just... It is so gross at this point. I've got to say, this movie is so nasty that I don't even care. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a, a volleyball that had been rolled in mud and then landed in a pile of cooked ramen noodle is basically what we're looking at for special effects here. But it's also oozing yellowish slime it, once again i'm asking who is this for are kids like ew cool well i mean kids like slime i mean nickelodeon build a whole entertainment empire out of slime but this is ugly if this is the shiny happy rewrite to bring it back from the darkness i can't imagine what it was before i mean this is gross well it was whatever they could do with directors who didn't want to do it and literally the pages were changing daily it, the fact that it's as coherent as it is is a monument to the editors who were able to assemble a coherent cut out of this i mean that it gets as far as it does is astounding yeah again you would stop this and my thinking is there's too much money at stake for you to go forward with this because you're going to lose so much you wait you stop you retool fire the directors you know maybe kind of what they're doing with the solo movie you just fix it and you don't let it go out like this because you've ruined any chance you have they had to know by this point that it just wasn't going to be a sequel ridden franchise production almost shut down because they ran out of money what happened was they found a distributor willing to pay more up front 
So the producers put in their $20 million. When it was gone, it was gone. But then they found a distributor willing to put in the 26 more that was needed to get this over the finish line. And maybe they thought just the name alone would make it profitable. And there have been movies, not a ton, but there have been movies that looked like giant financial debacles. I believe Avatar was one. They're like, oh my god, it costs so much. How could it ever... James Cameron, almost every one of his movies, they yeah. have the same story. Oh my god, it can never recoup. It has to make a billion dollars to make... Oh, it made a billion dollars? Yes. Yeah, that is James Cameron's career. Oh my god, he's killed the studio. Oh wait, no, it's the biggest movie of all time. And so yeah, this is not the biggest movie of all time. It did not come together. Good did not triumph over evil. But they did something here that I thought they were heading towards Donkey Kong, didn't you? When did they finally go back to Brooklyn? And Koopa's there, and he's got the Devo gun, and he's just shooting Scapelli and turning humans into chimps. I thought for sure one of them was going to climb up on the Empire State Building and start throwing barrels. I thought they were going to do something here. Yeah, I mean, they're on a construction site. There could have been scaffold that they could have climbed up there. And yeah, did at least a visual reference to Donkey Kong. Yeah, maybe it's just a joke. Maybe it's a bit. But they come all the way to Brooklyn just to go back to the cement factory and, yeah, turn Dennis into ooze. Well, they do one thing. They get rid of Scapelli because Scapelli gets devolved into... Don't call him a monkey. They call him a monkey, but I know that's an ape. That's a chimp. Yeah, it's a chimpanzee, actually. (laughs) Yeah, but I know from Planet of the Apes that that is an ape. As for the de-evolution guns, I actually have those. You know what they did? Nintendo was selling a upgraded version of their zapper gun because I guess to play Duck Hunt, you need a bazooka now. And I have one. It was called the Super Scope. They just painted them gray. And that's literally what they're carrying around is Nintendo accessories <laughs> painted. So. Wow. so that's it. So that's why we don't have a finale in which they fight a T-Rex and they don't have something big and outlandish and people climbing the Empire State Building. They had no money. This is just, we have enough to have some intern do a CGI on Dennis's face because Dennis is not wearing makeup and he'll just turn into goo the end. Yeah, I thought he was going to turn into a lizard and we'd have a big fight then. And you know, I'm kind of over that trope of the actor turning into a CGI monster. But here, I want Mario to fight a dinosaur or a turtle or something at the end the way he does in the video game. But it's only because of the video game. But there's so much we even skipped over. This movie is too damn long. I credited the editors, but they needed to cut more because there was a side quest. I'll call it that because it's a video game where Mario had to go rescue his girlfriend and the other missing Bronx women. And Luigi went to get Daisy. But when it's finally over, Daisy and Luigi are trying to stop the shard while Mario is facing off against Koopa. And then Koopa just devolves into primordial ooze. All so confusing. No, it's not confusing when you know that they had no money. I get it. It's over. The end. Needle on the record. It's lights up. Go home. More missed opportunities, though, to even try to bring the game itself in here. Mario never shoots a gun, ever. Mario has fireballs every once in a while. Mario jumps. Mario can step on you. They did have flamethrowers at a certain point that I thought might have been, if you squint, a reference to his fire. Right. How do you win the game? Super Mario Brothers, what is the final screen? You essentially jump over Koopa. Oh, you just jump him. Essentially, right? If On that bridge? Or Bowser, I guess, is who you jump over. Yeah, it's Bowser. Bowser is the main boss. You jump over him, you hit the switch, the bridge goes out from under him, he falls into lava, and you and the princess 
Princess Toadstool are reunited after eight levels of your princess in, in another castle. Okay, so getting them into lava or turning them into goo, I guess they were trying to find their way there. I don't think so. I just don't think they cared enough about the game to tie it in beyond a couple of names and a couple of weird references and things. The only thing they got right was the weapons, because not only do they have the bombs, but also their guns have bullets that look like the bullets that you'd have to jump over that have little faces on them and things. The design department played the game, but the directors never did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bullety bill looked just like, you know, from the game. And I guess I just wish there was a little bit more of that in this otherwise hectic production. I see a little bit of Back to the Future, though, here at the end stinger. We have the princess coming back like Christopher Lloyd. It's supposed to be a sad goodbye that Luigi can't stay. We've already kind of laughed during the plot summary that there's really no reason why they need to go back to Brooklyn, nor is it that hard for her to open the door anytime she should choose and go to see them. It's a long-distance romance, but nothing (laughs) has to come to the end. But she comes barging into their house three weeks later, looking like Doc from the future, to say, we're off to another adventure. Mm, no you're not (laughs) nope guess not on the bright side we're not covering super mario brothers 2 next week yeah (laughs) although there may be a continuation we'll talk about it yeah not a continuation but another movie it is never going to pick up this plot (laughs) yeah nor are they going to make a game out of super koopa cousins iggy and spike which was the end sting was that nintendo actually comes and we think that they're pitching to Luigi and Mario, would you like to be in our game? And it's Fisher Stevens and the other guy. Yeah. In fact, in the electronic press kit that came out with this, they call this movie the prologue of Super Mario Brothers: the game. And that the intent is the game designers got it all wrong. Mm. And that this is the real story of Mario <laughs> and Luigi. And that if you stayed till the end... Two Japanese businessmen who, sadly, are not actually cameos of the real creators. I would have preferred that, so they had just a couple of actors asking if they could make a game based on their story. But yeah, they're not asking Mario and Luigi, they're asking Iggy and Spike, and they're like, what would you like to call this game? And Super Goomba Cousins. I think Sega ended up making this, it was called Toje Manuro. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin... Stuart, would you put your quarter in Super Mario Brothers? Justin. I'm not even sure if I wanted to blow the dust off the cartridge after it didn't start the first time when I started sitting down with this movie. But you know what? It became obvious pretty quickly that this movie was never aimed at me. You know, it came out in 93. I'm a freshman in college at this point, so I really have zero interest in kiddie video games and even less in kiddie video game inspired movies. So this just wasn't on my radar. I realized quickly this movie's not for me. So, you know, I keep watching maybe with a little bit of hope, like, well, maybe it's just bad enough that it's going to be a brown arrow for me. About halfway through, that has kind of vanished. So now I, I feel like I'm just sitting here watching a movie that I'm finding very little to enjoy about. The designer in me is looking for things to pick up. Like, you know, maybe the set designs are at least awesome and fun to look at. And that's kind of failing. They tried a little bit. There's a few spaces in Koopa's Castle where it looks like they took the pyramid designs directly from the video game. I just wish there was more of that stuff. You know, even on that level, it would have been something to grab onto. But, you know, we said it earlier, it's not incoherent. It just doesn't feel like an adventure. 
it doesn't feel like anything that's happening is of much consequence throughout this entire movie. So I'm left wondering who this is for. I, I walked around work today because there's a couple of kids that are, I call them kids that are in their 20s now, but I was asking them what they thought about this movie because this would have been out when they were 9, 10, 11 years old. And I couldn't find anybody who actually liked it. They're like, oh yeah, it was a piece of crap. That movie sucked. And if there are people out there that like this movie, I, I am interested to know outside of just pure nostalgia, what there is to grab onto here. So yeah, I mean, sadly for me, this movie, like Stuart said earlier, went down the wrong pipe and I'm not going to be coming up to watch it again. Stuart? Yeah, like being shellacked in fungus. It's truly repulsive. Seriously, sitting through this just feels gross. And I think most people at the time were inclined to think, well, how could it be any different? You know, there was no blueprint for a video game movie. Everyone just assumed, of course, it was going to be stupid. I'm going to argue the universe is here. It could easily work. You have the iconography. It could have been something. You follow the yellow brick road. You get to some Wizard of Oz ripoff. You follow the turtle road, the Batman road. You follow some goddamn road <laughs> and you can find a formula movie with this iconography that's a hit, that's enjoyable, that kids would like. Instead, it is gross. It is like they just told Hoskins and Leguizamo to run laps in the Double Dare set and they made up the story as they went along. I mean, it is just formless, shapeless, and disgusting. As bad as this reputation would have you believe, and actually, I couldn't think of a worse family film we've covered. This is worse than Howard the Duck. It's worse than Turtles. Any Turtles. <laughs> Monster Trucks, Short Circuit, you name it. This thing is the bottom. The bottom. I would like to believe this is going to be the very worst video game adaptation we're going to cover. But you know what? I probably said Howard the Duck was going to be the worst Marvel movie that we were going to cover when we started that series. And then there was Man-Thing <laughs> and Generation X and Hasselhoff and Red Brown and Daredevil and Elektra and <laughs> Ghost Rider. This is just the beginning, folks. We are sliding down into the ship. Just wait till you get to Jean-Claude Van Street Fighter. Yeah, I'm just gagging at the opening of a giant sewer and just hoping for a merciful death. This thing is awful, and next week will be worse. Yeah, the movie trailers thought that a great tagline is, This ain't no game. I got news for them. This ain't no movie either. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it should be illegal. It's very telling that Bob Hoskins didn't even know this movie was based on a video game until halfway through the movie. <laughs> I wouldn't expect him to be hanging out at the arcades, honestly. <laughs> he, he like went home after shooting and it says like, oh, you're doing this movie? And showed him the game and Bob Hoskins like, there's a game? <laughs> Did he think? Why did he? I mean, he needed it. He just, you know, he was in heart condition. Oh he'd do anything. <laughs> did he have a heart condition? Because he did die recently. Actually, I think he did die of a heart condition. <laughs> well, we'll we'll downplay that. But uh, you know what is probably on his deathbed? He was regretting this movie because I did read an interview with him in a Q and A. He was asked, "What was the worst job you've ever done?" Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah. A little further down, what's been your biggest disappointment? Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah. A little further in the interview, if you could edit your past, what would you change? I wouldn't do Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. John Leguizamo put it much more simply. 
That movie sucks and I suck in it. Even Dennis Hopper said, I've done 150 films and Super Mario Brothers was the worst. Yeah. And you know something? I really am up there by saying this could be not just the worst family film, but the worst intolerable thing I've had to review for now playing. Like, watching this was about 120 minutes of fingernails on chalkboard. It wasn't enjoyably bad. I couldn't find anything to cling on to. I liked Leguizamo's charisma, but I didn't like anything he was given to do. The plot is so muddled. There's so many side quests and so much. Every time I would hit pause, there was just like an hour more to go. <laughs> I just can't believe how arduous this is. I feel that way about certain games. At a certain point, video game designers got together and said, you know what, let's just arbitrarily say, a video game should give you 40 hours of gameplay. So you should buy our game and you should get a full work week of play out of it. And there are certain <laughs> games that by the time I get to level 42, I'm like, end just end and that's what this movie is this is terrible and what a horrible note you know this movie is as bad as me playing mario now with my rusty skills when i decide i'm going to live stream some super mario on facebook for our followers there and then i just suck and fall into the lava every time this movie is an abomination yeah, I mean, I would have rather watched that, Arnie. I mean, I, again, I'd rather hear PewDiePie or whatever the hell his name is that narrates video gameplay on YouTube. I'd rather him narrate his own shits instead of this movie. <laughs> true story. True story. I watched this movie. I took all of these notes, and then something happened, and I lost them. And I was like, wait, no, wait, what? No. I literally teared up when I realized I had to watch the film again to redo my notes. I was like, I don't remember anything that was about, but I don't want to sit there again. I can't take it anymore. Did you have to? I Yeah, I did. I sat through this twice. Remember that trick that some people could do in the game of Super Mario Brothers where if you caught a turtle shell just right on one of the stairs... You just kept bouncing off of it, and like after a while, you just kept one-upping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would sooner watch that for two and a half hours than watch <laughs> this movie again. Yeah, this is a movie that does not deserve an extra life. And yet, it just was announced a few months ago from the people that made everyone fall in love with Minions. It's going to be animated this time. They're bringing the character back for some animated adventure maybe musical i i tend to think that there'll be some songs in here maybe they can pull roxette out i think that super mario <laughs> brothers killed their career <laughs> grunge killed their career but i did read that they were making one and then i'm like well why didn't we wait and then i read that it's like possibly coming out in 2020 2021 it's going to take three or four years to do but you know what john leguizamo he did voices in all those ice age films maybe they could get him back <laughs> it would be a funny revenge if they got some of the people back to to, to try and fix all of this. I mean, they can do better. I, I have no doubt about it. It's, uh, it's a stronger recommend for that film. Yeah, to be fair, it's actually kind of crazy that this movie didn't kill the character of Mario. Because, I mean, at this point, Mario was not the major character and mascot that he has become for the Nintendo brand now. I mean... I tend to disagree. I mean, by the time this movie came out, you not only had the three major Mario ones, but he was the referee in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! There was Dr. Mario, the Tetris ripoff. There was Mario Kart. I think Mario Kart 
really more than anything saved him. But there was Super Mario World and then Yoshi's Island. There were so many games coming out. This movie, I mean, they made sure that every platform had a new Mario. Yeah, I don't think that whenever they put out uh, yeah, a Game Boy or whatever, like Mario is the character they're going to have as the first game you play on that new system. He's that popular. He's so popular, he can survive a movie as bad as this. I mean, because nobody saw it, it's just easy to ignore. But it should, yes. If everyone had to watch it, it would make you never want to touch a Nintendo again. (laughs) All right. Well, next week, we are going to be back with another video game movie. We're we're not going to be getting much better instead of John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins and Samantha Mathis. We have... Yeah, Alyssa Milano in a blonde flat top, the T-1000, and the guy no one liked from Party of Five. (laughs) In Double Dragon. (laughs) Can't wait. I never even played that game. I'm going to have to figure it out. I don't know that one, but that's another Nintendo game, right? That was another one that was big with the NES. Well, it was on the NES, but it was arcade first. Oh. Yes, and not a Nintendo property. All right, well, I'm going to put on my fighting gloves and, and be ready to duke that one out. And don't forget, our donation drive is coming to an end. Jeepers Creepers 3 was put out last Friday. That is our last bonus show for this drive. And also your last chance to order our 10th anniversary DVD-ROMs is coming up on the 31st. All the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And the podcast individually will go up in price after February 1st. So, Justin Stewart... Thank you for joining me for this not-so-super movie. And until next week, game over. You can go ahead and choke this little mushroom kingdom all you want. Because I'm out of here. I'm out into the bigger world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. If you just want to end this right now... I would understand. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And I was going to ask you the same thing. If, if you want to end this right now and you feel bad about that, but you want to talk to somebody about it, you can call me. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Let's get out of here for this fungus stuff. Each is alive. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, and more. I believe you can do that. Because we're sitting on my butt all day playing video games, that's why. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. I hope the guy downstairs knows where we're going. What's that? Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. I need two buck orange, you lighthouse! Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Yes, I think that proposal would mutually benefit both our parties. Yes, yes, okay, now, hand over the rack. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. 
Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I've waited too long to let all this slip away. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Never let them down, and they always at your side. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these movies and games with other listeners. One thing I cannot stand is naysay. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Have a look. Awesome. Oh, check this out. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Look at this place. Pathetic. It gets worse every day. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Oppressor of the proletariat. Guy in charge. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. If we get it wrong one more time, he's going to kill us. He's not going to kill us. He's not that nice. But we'd be done here a lot sooner if your goons would stop harassing us. Now Playing credits read by Brock. That's exactly what I told him, sir. Exactly what I told him. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. We can talk about this later, if later even occurs. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. What my brother is trying to say is he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't even know how to begin. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. See you later, alligator. King's Quest and Police Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. 
I think that one deserves to have a movie made, actually. I think you could <laughs> take DJ Qualls, put him in a leisure suit, and you have comedy gold. <laughs> Are you talking about now or like 20 years ago? I'm talking about now. He's the right age now. 20 years ago, he'd be high school Larry. Mm. I know you like your soundtracks, Arnie, and you're right. It was a big selling point to any big theatrical film. It would sometimes make the difference. I wonder if I wonder if something like Slither or even Pretty Woman would have been as big as they were. They didn't have those tunes. Slither had Sliver. Sliver. I think yeah. I said Slither. Yeah, I did, but then I said <laughs> Sliver. Every movie, I don't care what it is, and sure enough, yeah, Izzy and Izzy. No, Iggy and Spike and Jeepers Creepers threeing and Izzy. Iggy and Spike. It feels very put on, you know, especially played off against Leguizamo, who is... Leguizamo. Especially against Leguizamo. Don't feel bad, Justin. I watched an Entertainment Tonight clip from when this movie came out, and somebody actually said, John Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Lisa Gibbons calling him Leguizamo. <laughs> it's not the first time I've done it. It's not the last time I'll do it. <laughs> you know, it came out in 93... I'm a freshman in college at this point, so I really have zero interest in kitty video games and even less in kitty video game inspired movies. So this just wasn't on my radar. So what does it say that I was in theaters? <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Because <laughs> I was also between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I think it's strange you weren't wearing the mask and like cosplay. <laughs> in fact, are we sure you weren't? <laughs> Some of us stay young at heart longer. I've seen you. He does have some Mario glasses and mustache. <laughs> oh. Maybe he'll show you a picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need to see that. <laughs> and until next week, game over. God damn, this movie did suck. I did not want to watch it, but I did. Twice. <laughs> Twice. I was. I did well up. I was just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I became eight years old. <laughs> you sounded kind of like the room. I did not. It's bullshit. I did not want to watch it again. I did hit him. <laughs> oh, hi, mom. <laughs> yeah, I tried to make it fun the second time. I've been like, mom, let's watch this movie. No, what is it? <laughs> That's usually your way. No, what is it? I had Marjorie watch it with me because sometimes I get like funny observations when we bounce off each other. And she's just like, this movie's not even funny. It's just shit. Yeah, yeah, it is not a bad movie, Brown Arrow, good time. Mm -mm. It is not a good time in any way. No. Mm -mm. See, I didn't make the mistake of showing Marjorie anything. I didn't show her a trailer. Mm -hmm. I just told her it was a classic. I didn't tell her why it was a classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a classic for one of the biggest bombs of all time, so I didn't really lie.